Well, Lindsay, so glad to have you here. I hopefully I speak for everyone being so excited to have you here. You know, former Shark Tank contestant, thriving business owner and Thank entrepreneur, you. right? So glad to have you here in the studio. I'm happy to be here. I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, tell us about uh, your business, Easy Peasy. Okay. Well, and I'm Lindsay, so I'm the founder of Easy Peasy. Easy Peasy is a woman-owned and woman-run business, and we create innovative, safe, high-quality, developmentally appropriate feeding items for babies' first food all the way up to feeding independence. When we were on Shark Tank, we only had our mat-based products, okay. but the brand has evolved over the last gosh, eight years. Oh, well, that's awesome too. Well, I think, um, uh, tell us about what it was like to be on Shark Tank and uh, how long ago was this? Oh uh, gosh, so we aired on Shark Tank six years ago, yeah. which is pretty crazy. And we filmed Shark Tank, um, so we had launched in August of 2014 and we ended up filming Shark Tank a year after launching. So okay. we had been on, you know, only really kind of in the market for about a year. Yeah. And then and you, you had some traction. Yeah, so we had some traction. So do you want me to get right into Shark yeah, Tank? Talk okay, about it. let's okay. do it. So um being on the it was a crazy experience. So uh I mean, do you want me just to talk about just yeah, tell okay. us what what made you apply? You okay. know, like what how the idea come and you're like, you know, we we should we should go on Shark Tank. Okay. So I think before I went on Shark Tank and or before I started Easy Peasy, it was just the everyday, you know, consumer. I spent my career in corporate America, never thought I'd be an entrepreneur. You know, I was just kind of doing my thing in the business world mm -hmm. and ended up having three boys, really messy. Our story is very cliche. You know, my <laughs> husband one night, we had three boys under the age of three and was like, there needs to be a better way. And identified a problem. And I started looking the next day, realized nothing exists. At that time, the suction bowls and plates, nothing really worked and was primary colors. So I really came home from work and was like, there's gotta be a better way. I'm starting a company and creating a product. If anyone can do it, I can do it. And my personality is just very all or nothing obsessive. You attach to things. That's what I'm learning. You attach yes. to things. <laughs> Which is like a benefit and just like a curse. Yeah, like, I gosh, get that. I'm a lot. I'm, mm -hmm. you know, pretty intense. That's good. So we had the idea and at that point, it was kind of like how everyone thought about Shark Tank, right? As a consumer, I thought, if you go on Shark Tank, I mean, that's it. You've made it. Yeah. Like, that's the golden ticket. You get on Shark Tank and your life's changed forever. You don't even have to, like, work anymore. You've just, like, you're, you're it. That's it. Yeah, you get capital plus exposure. Yeah, and just, like, my idea of I just what the reality of the situation was was much different. So I think, be, you know, when we started Easy Peasy, we always thought, like, Shark Tank would be great from if we need investment or if for exposure. You know, there was always like, we knew what Shark Tank was. Yes. So we had the idea at that dinner. Six months after that idea is when we launched at on Kickstarter. So okay. like really fast from like concept to like, I have an idea, I'm gonna do this to being, you know, on Kickstarter. And then we went to the ABC Kids Expo. It's a juvenile show okay. in Las Vegas. Every day they, you go meet with retailers and other businesses as a product. Yeah. So we actually launched on Kickstarter, went to the ABC Kids Expo convention, and we were in a, a section called the Invention Connection. So we had a full product there. That our Happy Mat is our flagship product. So it's an all-in-one suction mat. It sucks into the table. Very exciting. And we were in the Invention Connection, and that's where we actually met the Shark Tank producers okay. or like field producers. Yeah, they're trying. They're recruited you. Yes, like, and so oh. I didn't even know that was a thing. Like that. I mean, it makes sense, right? Like. Yeah. Shark Tank, they're going to look for big. They're fine. They're trying to find stories. Yeah. Yes. And like, so people apply to Shark Tank, you know, tons of people just apply, but then the producers are also out scouting and, you know, doing that stuff. So we met the producers at the show and followed up after 
pr pretty quickly. And that's how the process for us started with Shark Tank is. And then they said, you should apply. So we applied. And then, um, I mean, probably now this was at the end, you know, a few months later, we started the application process. So you go through that process. And then eventually we were told, I don't know how, I can't even remember the details, but that we were going to, you know, get on. We had to make a video, actually. We had to make a whole video where my husband was in the video and he's just just so awkward with that kind of stuff. He's like, I helped uh, uh, promote the problem or, or oh, identify the terrible. problem. I just love outtakes of that kind of stuff. Yeah. They're funny. So um, then, you know, you submit a video, you get on. So then we found out that they're going to tape our episode. Wow. So you, we went to, so I went to LA and actually I just went by myself. So my, our COO, our friend, my friend, one of my best friends was there with me. Um, and then you go, you like create the, you know, you, we made a set and the, we made the set actually the day before. So like we, we, for us, we had the mats all sticking up on oh, the okay. set. So we were like making that the night before, like, I don't know if we glued them on or how we got them to stick to that thing. So, so at the time though, you're like, it's you, a COO, it's a product and like who else on the, on your team? Um, we had a photographer. Okay. Um, and our speech language pathologist. Okay. So and so, an expert. okay. Yeah. So we had an expert because she actually in the mats, you, I'm on a podcast, so you can't see, but the mats suction in this unbelievable way. Like you yeah. cannot get them off the table. Yeah. And so when we launched, we had three messy boys. We didn't realize that they would have a huge impact on the special needs community. So oh. if you picture a kiddo with cerebral palsy or a blind kid or a kiddo with Down syndrome, they can hold on to the edge of the mat and independently eat. And so that was actually a huge thing at the beginning. Like in people that supported our Kickstarter and got the happy mats early. I mean, the letters I got from parents of my kids never been able to eat independently and they can eat independently. My, my blind kiddo is now exploring oh, the world. Like I have so the chills good. even. Yeah. On, and so our speech language pathologist reached out on Kickstarter and said, I've been doing this for 25 years. I duct tape you know, plates and bowls to tables now, like you are going to change so many kids' lives. I need to meet you. So they chased, they found you yeah. off the Kickstarter and then you have this small but mighty team and you show up at Shark Tank, you have a set and you're ready to pitch. Yes. And it's just me there, but at the behind the scenes, that's who was on my team. So it's yeah. like, yeah, CEO, graphic designer, a photographer, and a speech language pathologist pretty okay. much is the yeah. core. Yeah. And we're, we haven't gotten that much bigger over the last six years, <laughs> which is crazy. Um, but we're still small. You know, I still consider us a startup, but, um, so yeah, so we're at the set, we're building it all. And kind of with Shark Tank, the whole thing is you go to film and it's this all, it's constantly like, well, you don't know if you're even gonna get on set. Like you're constantly pitching and they're kind of like, and then even when you do your pitch, it's like, we don't know if this is gonna air. So you, you're always in just suspense. You just never know. You just never know. So we went, built the set, and then the next day you just, you know, you're holding in a green room kind of all day waiting to go out. And that was the most stressful part is like, I thought I was going crazy. Yeah. And then you go out and you you picture, you know, just how you would a picture. You yeah. walk down that aisle. And um, and so I went out and it was probably an hour I was out there. I don't know the whole time. And then you get off and uh, they, they they make you meet with a psychologist after. And so you, you know, they, they say good job or not good job or whatever. <laughs> and then you meet with someone and then they're like, you, we don't know if this is going to air or when this is there, we'll be in touch. Okay. So then you kind of just leave and you just go back to your normal life. I had a lot of emotional feelings. I was like, I don't know, I even want that to air. It went terrible. Like I hated the feeling when I got off of the set. Um, but we didn't take a deal. So like nothing changed for me. Like yes. there, I didn't have a new investor that I was answering to the next day. We just like, okay, see ya. Flew back to my family vacation and that was that. And then two weeks after your episode airs is when they reach out and they say, hey, your episode's gonna air in two weeks. And that's how. 
that's how you figured yeah. it out. So that's how I figured it out. All right. So so how uh, w w you you it just the episode aired. You didn't you didn't necessarily get to see how it was going to get cut or anything no. like that. No. That so talk talk to us about like <laughs> did you have popcorn and you're sitting down and you're ready to watch this and what happens? Yeah. No. We had a huge party. It was such a fun time in the industry too because like Colorado, there was a lot of entrepreneurs. We all kind of were finding each other. Yeah. So we had a and then we had a warehouse at the time, and so we had a huge party with like everyone in the industry. And lots of people were there. And I was watching alongside with everybody else. So I had no idea what the story was. And that's the risk of Shark Tank, which I did know. Or any, any reality. Is you lose the narrative of your story. Yes, you do. And I just, and I didn't think about any of this. I mean, I thought about losing the narrative, but not like, how am I going to look on TV? I, mean, I don't know how I didn't think of that. But, or what what are people going to say? I just didn't, because I usually, I don't really care usually what people say, unless it's all over Twitter and mean stuff. Um, and so I I'm was so sorry. This is, I'm so looking forward to this story. <laughs> so I was actually, it had aired on the East Coast. And so we were in Colorado and I started getting like tweets and a few emails. And the only thing I could see was like, did this girl forget her pants? Her dress is so short. And I'm like, oh my God, my dress was short. And looking back, I did like it was a swing dress and I just, I didn't realize, but that was the comments. And I'm like, oh, great. So you're getting picked apart. Yeah, a little okay. bit. And I'm watching that, so I'm not thinking it's that bad. I'm like, okay, this isn't terrible. I don't, I'm not that bad. It ends, I kind of think it's funny. I'm like, oh, my dress is too short. You know, that's funny, kind of. And then I got up the next day, actually, after the party and started just like got on Twitter and in our Facebook and people. So I, easy peasies, Twitter and Facebook. Yes, or any okay. anything you could, I mean, it was just the meanest stuff of you know you look like a man you're just you're so greedy you went i mean any the weird mean stuff not like i was like can someone just say something nice like you're hot or something please <laughs> but um and so i did i cried i felt very bad for myself all weekend i just you know it just i wasn't expecting it i was like kind of mad at the producers i was like no one gave me a warning and you cut it bad did and you feel like you were made out to be a little bit of a villain yeah, like okay. greedy. They cut and it was a very intense um, kind of my filming was it was intense and it was all about money and financials. Yes. And I thought it would be more about like everyone's going to be excited and you can lift tables and they're going to love this story. And I had just come off a trade show from Germany and everyone we were the hit of the show. And so I also yeah, had, had a lot of attention. At I show. had a lot of, and I had a lot of confidence like my swagger. I look back. I mean, even if I film today i don't know if i'd have that same swagger i was like what was i thinking but awesome um you know because i think when we went on shark tank we had done maybe a million in sales that year okay so it was our first year out of the gate which is right i mean i was excited so yeah. of course but now looking back and then they look at contracts and you know it's there's all the stuff for the future valuation yes and so we can talk a little bit about the valuation but i i mean to go to be doing a million dollars a year and ask for 20 million dollars too that's that's a stretch but I had that kind of confidence and yeah. thought we were just, you yeah. know, the best thing that's ever happened. Um, and so I went in with that confidence and we didn't do a deal and then kind of got the backlash of, you know, the the mean folks on the Internet and spent some time crying that weekend and feeling bad for myself. And then the the best like there was a tweet and I cannot say it on the show because there's too many swear words. But um, someone had spelt called me some dumb and they spelt dumb D-U-M-N. And I was like, and I'm done with reading any comments. Like I'm done giving any sort of attention to this. Like it's such a negative energy space yes. too. And I'd never been bullied in my life, you know? Yeah. And so I, I didn't really know how that felt and it feels terrible. 
I have a totally different understanding for even just like famous people are in the spotlight. Everyone's yeah, humans. Waves. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know. And it's not just about like people are mean. And I'm just not, I mean, I'm not the nicest person in the world, but I'm also not just like cruel. Yeah. It seems easy for some people to just throw pot shots like that because they don't know who the person is and they haven't just some opinion as a fan. And it's like, yeah, you don't know the whole story. It, it, it takes a toll yeah. on people. Yeah. Especially reality shows. Yeah, absolutely. So then, but then after that weekend, we went out and nothing had changed for us. So we didn't do a deal. So really it's business as usual. I always say, you know, and when you air on Shark Tank, you wake up the next day and you're still filling boxes and, you know, it's not like your life changes that yes. much. Yeah. I mean, it was a great thing for us, but. Yeah. You know, I think, um, what, what do you think was maybe the, uh, the cost, let's just talk about the cost of doing Shark Tank and would you have done it again with that cost? Yes, I would have done it again. Absolutely. Um, and I think, you know, I I guess before I went on Shark Tank again, I had that perception like it's the golden. I thought we were going to sell a million dollars the next day. Like we aired and I thought we would, you know, you'd be in front of so many eyes. Your sales would skyrocket. We had a small bump in sales. It was not crazy. Um, and then you you don't really know the true benefit of Shark Tank. And I don't think you ever will. But for us, the true benefit was being at a trade show, you know, six months, a year later, or even five years later, and people coming up and being like, I know this from somewhere. Like, I, and I'm like, oh, we were on Shark Tank. I kind of minimize it because of my like yeah, emotional response. Like it was traumatic. But people love Shark Tank. The consumers love Shark Tank. It's in their brain, you know, it's like the subconscious of they know where they've seen it. So if they go into a Bye Bye Baby or Target, we can't, I can't quantify that. Yeah, right? there's a brand recall. They're like, yes. oh, I've heard of this before. Yes, or I've seen this or I don't know where I've seen it. So that is very impactful. Even this morning, I woke up and, you know, we got a PR, a press hit of like the 20 best Shark Tank products, uh, kitchen products. So like all BuzzFeed articles still to this day, you know, Shark Tank products. And so, you know, the cost of my ego being bruised for, you know, 48 hours, I think, was well worth it. Um, but I didn't want it to be like the main focus of Easy Peasy because I'm like, we're so much more than Shark Tank. Well, what uh, what made you go in with uh, that valuation? Was it sort of like, hey, I know that the housing market is X. I've got this confidence. And, you know, you know, how like if some some sellers will try and sell their houses, they'll just put this amazing price on there. They're like, this is perfect. And it's like, it's never going to happen. <laughs> Did you what made you pick the 20 million? Yes. Great question. So at that time, I our revenue was so much smaller. So I had a financial mentor and he's a phenomenal guy um, and he was an older gentleman. And so he helped me at the beginning really try to create the right valuation. And so we went through it so much. And at this time, again, we're playing with smaller numbers, right? I think our net revenue was maybe like over 100 grand. And so if you're trying to like do a multiple off of that, yeah. you're like in, you know, like a million dollars, like not realistic. So we had a whole chart, you know, and it was like net present value and discounted rate. And if you do this and that, and so where you could justify a $20 million valuation. Got it. And this is kind of a funny story. There was this grid, right? And it literally is present value, discount rates. And at the bottom corner was $100 million. Like I saw it on the grid. It turns out that was there was an error in the spreadsheet. No joke. I go out Sigh. though. I, I literally go out on track. This was my the one probably regret of the thing. And I, you know, I'm like, we we're asking for a million dollars, five percent. And I said, I wanted to do five times that amount to get to a hundred million, which is because they were like, oh, 20 million, that's so much. And I was like, I wanted to do five times that. And it kind of set the thing. They're like, you're crazy. Like, that's just, you know. It, it, it's a tone setting moment. 
that I did. I, there's a language that investors have. Yeah. Right. And it's there are patterns and sequences and there's there's a way that's like I'm willing to put this money in because of these factors. Yeah. And those standards matter when evaluating companies. Yes, they're absolutely. Yeah. And I was at that time, too. I didn't understand it as much. So a lot of it was like memorized, too, of like not present value and 20. You know, I'm trying to like be now if we went on Shark Tank today, it's much more. Easy. Here's our EBITDA. Here's our revenue. I mean, yes. it's, here's the multiple. Here's the multiple. And here's what we're asking for. Yes. Because we have a high net revenue, so it's very easy now to get $20 million. Back then, you're stretching numbers, and we were a brand, and we had patents, and they bought it. I mean, I got two offers, you know, so it wasn't that outrageous. Yeah, you got over the moment, and you got a couple offers, and did you take them? No. 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 So. What was, why did you decline on the moment, like in the moment? Yeah, and I really did not go in with, you know, I didn't go in of like, I'm dying to get a deal or I want to do with this. At that time, we didn't necessarily need money. So we're still self-funded. We had launched on Kickstarter. So we got like 72,000 on Kickstarter, enough to, you know, do our first production run. But we were just putting our own money in and then just reinvesting. But but we were doing, I mean, we had done a million dollars, you know, and our team was small. So like we had money. Money wasn't necessarily the issue then. I mean, we've had money issues (laughs) post-Shark Tank much more significantly. I went on Shark Tank for, I was like the licensing. I didn't know anything about licensing and, you know, Mr. Wonderful licensing. Yep. I knew there could be an opportunity within the pet space for our self-stealing technology and making pet bowls. And Lori was like into pets. So I was like, maybe she'll want to do pets. Yeah, you're like, there's a path. Yeah, there's something that we could do. A bu- You know, there's a business opportunity here. Um, so when I went on and we got the two offers, honestly, it just was not the right fit. From a culture standpoint, um, you know, our team is small, but we are like family. And we talked a little bit about the team, but... The team now is my two best friends from middle school and elementary school growing up. You know, we've known each other for 25, 30 years. Um, And so when whenever you take an investment and we still haven't taken investment, but I'm assuming for those listening who have taken investment, it changes the culture of the company. I mean, money just to somebody. Yeah, you got to answer to someone. Mm -hmm. Everything shifts. And that's a big, you know, the big thing to to take on. It's a it's an intentional choice. Yes. Yeah. And so it was easy from a sense of like, I don't want the, our company culture to change. This is going to shift everything. And it's just not the right fit. Wow. Well, what do you think was, because uh, uh, like if you go into it, you, you know, you're like, hey, I'm pitching in order to get cash. And then you're like, I don't really want the cash. What what was kind of the, the in the moment why you said, you know what, I'm not going to do the deal. Was it, did you think that you were not going to take a deal to begin with? Or did you feel like there was uh because of the way that the tone and the first impression and then some of those things happened, did you feel like that it it set sort of a bad tone in you the way that they were reacting to you? And that's why you said no? Or what? why did you sort of say no to the I th- Yeah, no, I think absolutely. It was a bad kind of, I, I think tone or like, I, I felt like I was like bickering the whole time with them. And so it didn't feel good. Like there was that feel good, right? This doesn't feel good. You know, Barbara, she was actually one of the people that made an offer, but she had made a comment, too, that she was like, you know, you know what one of your issues is? You, you're not a self-doubter. So she was like, I doubt in my way, you know, the whole, I can't remember how she said it. And I just thought to myself, I don't know how I am not a self-doubter, but that's how I've been so successful. 
Like I just don't doubt myself. I believe in what I'm doing and I go. And so I'm not There's saying a lot of certainty in what you're doing. Yeah. And I like I believe in it. And that's like how I've gotten this far. So to be giving advice almost like you should start doubting yourself and question. I'm like, yeah, it doesn't work with me. Yeah. It's just not who I am. And that might be great advice for some people. And they probably thought I was way had a way bigger ego with like the five times, you know, so, yeah, but again, yeah, yeah. I was like, that's not the advice I want to take from, you know, another woman. That's and then, good. so it just, again, wasn't the right fit. And then I, yeah, said no and walked off and I was glad I didn't cry on the episode really. Yeah. Cheers to you on that. What, what do you think, um, you know, we were talking about, uh, just taking investment period. I, I like how you got bootstrapped with Kickstarter. That's a really good way to, to do that. What advice would you say for people looking, cause there's, there's, uh, there's two sort of places that uh, you considered uh, funding the company, right? That really that we're talking about is probably a lot more and we should probably talk about that too. But the Kickstarter, the bootstrapping thing, what advice would you give to people that said that that's like, here's why you should do Kickstarter and here's how you should, here's the, the main couple of things that you need to know about doing Kickstarter. Kickstarter is great because it's a way to get your product out there, um, you know, in the way you want it. So you can make a video and, you know, all your assets and stuff. Um, and it's, it, it's very organic and like from a community standpoint and culture. And that was really big when we started is we had a really awesome community and we still have a great community, but like moms and my kids were so young. So we, I was in it. I'm, I'm out of it a little bit now. We have 12 and 10 year olds. And so, but I was like in it with these moms and, you know, we're all talking about messy eaters and like, like these these women were awesome extreme empathy with them yeah, yeah and just like and so that kickstarter is like they were our kickstarters they like believed in us in this community of you know 1500 people and then that and then they're sharing with their friends i mean we had so much organic growth at the beginning all grassroots people sharing and telling and and that we we did not have a huge marketing budget we still don't spend well this these past few years we've started to spend more on like digital advertising yeah but at that time i mean it was pennies on we weren't even doing anything and so kickstarter was great for us to get that initial funding um i think for us i was i was so strategic the whole time of like if you go on kickstarter we need to be ready to like ship and execute because if you look at the Kickstarters that are failed or they not done well, it's like they don't end up shipping the product. Yes. All of these things that I'm like, we can't screw it up. We need to, we need to know we can execute and yes. do it fast. And so that's a, you know, so we went on and we, we had a great campaign. We got funded and then we sent out the product really soon after. I think our campaign ended in August and we had, we had sent their product by Christmas that year. So a few months after. Wow. Yeah. But what? it's a lot of work. You have to ask people. I hate asking people for money and stuff. I hate asking for stuff. But you don't, you know, you have to ask your friends and your family and that kind of stuff, yeah, which gotta, just. You got to do that. You know, uh, promoting ourselves is something that a lot of people will struggle yeah. with. Yeah. And entrepreneurs have to do that. That's yeah. A, that's a part of your commitment to your. That's why you really should pick something that's worth promoting. Because totally. it, then it's not necessarily about promoting yourself. It's about asking uh, about something that you're passionate about that you you're like this thing matters. Absolutely, that's yeah. really good. Well, what? Uh, so you have you taken investment? No, so we're still self funded. Self funded. So, yeah. So what made you pick the? I'm not going the investor route, and and how have you uh, sort of continued to bootstrap and reinvest? So I think early on it was that look, I came from corporate America. I, I wanted a company that we were all friends and family. It felt like that. We don't have a vacation policy. I mean, we just are all responsible 
adults that love working together and love what we do. And so I always knew I wanted that culture and it was really important. If that's the company I'm creating, I want everyone to love what they're doing. Not saying you can't get an investor and still love what you're doing, sure. but it just changes the whole dynamic. So we did not need money. We were bootstrapping our way, fine, kind of continuing on. And that was easy. Then we got into litigation and legal issues, which ended up we were spending a lot of yeah. money on. And so at a time in our company, this is now, gosh, so from a revenue perspective, I'll back up. We did like 140,000 our first year, so the Kickstarter year. Then we did 1.7 million the next year. That's so that amazing. year we were on Kickstarter. And then we went to 7 million our third year, right? So this kind of skyrocket, yeah, right? So, yeah. so, and we're having, if when we're doing 7 million, now we have cash, right? So we, I'm not even thinking about outside investors. I was yeah. like, th- those were like the glory days. Oh, that was we're so fun. We had just money coming in. And then our litigation started and we had no money. We yeah. started spending. The attention that the team had split from growth in the business to having to pay attention for survival. Yes. And wow. start protecting everything you've built. So I went into complete protective mode and, and kind of shifted my role of being the innovator and the visionary and the rah-rah to like, I need to protect what we've built. So we have a lot of intellectual property and patents, which I can talk a little bit about. But um, and. I hired a full-time lawyer. So we had general counsel for, he's not with us anymore, but for two or three years, we had an enforcement team. So we have, you know, online people taking down counterfeit listings and copy listings. And um, and then we've got just like our le- regular legal team that was doing litigation. But spending all that money, now we're spending at that point about a million a year in legal fees. And we started not having money, which now was not fun. So then that kind of turned into our sales were kind of flat, actually, for a while. And we had a competitor come in and we got in litigation. They got their mats into Walmart and Target. So they were taking market share from us, too. And we're spending all our money litigating. And then I so then and I've always wanted to sell a company. And so we've had so many discussions, too, with investors from selling, not necessarily an investment, but coming in to acquire us. Yeah. And so private equity type of situation. Yeah. And strategic folks, you know, so like a bigger baby company. Yeah. Lots of interest that from that standpoint. But then I started looking because I was like, we're we're gonna need money just from inventory perspective, you know, we're doing a lot of volume. And so we started looking for money then more. And that was a hard time because no one wanted to give us money and no one didn't give us money because we were in a litigation. And so I, it was bad. I, I was ready to like give away the company and just, this is probably in 17 and 18. Um, and just like maxing out all of our credit cards. And yeah. I mean, if my husband only knew just because at that we started, right? We didn't have like any debt. And now I was probably a million dollars in debt at one point, just on every, any loan I could borrow or try to get money I was doing. So like I got total survival mode, total survival mode, meeting with investors, always the same story. It was like this terrible story. We're in this litigation. We have no money. And then they're like, well, we don't want to lend to you because you're in the litigation. So I just felt bad for myself. Um, And then slowly through that time, protecting the brand, getting out counterfeits, um, we started innovating again. So then our utensils and our cups and really evolved as a brand. So, you know, we started as mats, then we evolved, you know, from less mess to developmentally appropriate and and just realizing like how lack of product innovation there even is in the baby space too. Wow. Um, so how can we be different from all the other competitors? And so back to having Dawn on our team, a speech language pathologist, very um, specific. She develops all of our products now, but there's so much intent to all of our products. 
So we started innovating uh, with the tiny spoon and tiny cup and and went back to first foods and the products did really, really well. And our revenue started coming back and just litigation expenses started, you know, decreasing as we kind of got more close to our trial and our revenue. And so now we got out of all of that. So now we're back to business is great. <laughs> <sighs> we, um, you know, and we don't need funding. Our, our next move will probably, you know, get it. We won't, we always wanted to get acquired. That's always been my yeah. goal. Well, the thing that I think uh, is, is interesting, just correlating what's uh, typical on Shark Tank and then the uh, evolution thing, like, one of the things that I think is really interesting about Shark Tank, and 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 you and I talked a little bit about this, uh, even even uh, before the episode, but uh, this idea that what you see is companies that are starting and they have one product, yeah. And what ha- what it, what has been some of your observations as you followed some of those uh, some of those products? Well, I think it's one. It's it's a little disheartening how many kind of smaller companies I've seen starting around the same time that have just kind of failed and yeah. not gone anywhere. Like whether it's a one product teether or whatever the product is, like it's not, I'm not even saying it's easy to make that first product. It's not even easy to make the first product, but people can make the first product. Yes. And you get that buzz and that excitement. And if it's there's a lot of energy at the beginning. Yes. Yeah. And just from where you're standing. And so I think that's what happens. You go on Shark Tank and it's just there's a lot of products on Shark Tank. They're right. They're not brands necessarily. It's, you know, an oil I, to catch spills on the oil or the kitchen or the scrub, the whatever it is. And I think the hardest part is proving that you're just not a one product company. Yeah. Um, and that was a big thing for us. We were mats. So we had our mats and our suction mats and stuff. But to prove that we're more than just mats, mm-hmm. right? You got to prove that you're a brand and evolve. And so you have to grow your product line. You have to grow your branding and your messaging and what you stand for. And I see a lot of people don't do that. Yeah. You know, I, the, it's uh, one of my favorite uh, product uh, books is uh, Crossing the Chasm. And that's one of the things that I think is really, really important about if you're going to design a company, you need to pick a beachhead. Yep. And it's like Normandy. You know, they picked a beachhead and then they worked their way in the adjacent space, started taking over from that beachhead. And I think that in uh, that that's really played out well in Crossing the Chasm because these companies have to come up to a certain growth point and then there is a chasm to cross every single time and you have to figure out how to cross that chasm and in my mind uh innovation is a way to do that right sometimes it's uh, you know crossing the chasm requires cash yep sometimes crossing the chasm requires uh innovation and reinvention but like you know if you think about uh what y- your companies had to do right you started off with the single product and then you could you built a beachhead off that single product and you have found with what's really differentiated you, which is the speech pathologist, yep. right? And you've been able to develop adjacent products and you've been been able to build a brand, yes, right? And I, I think that's one of the things that's one of the most difficult things for entrepreneurs to face. Absolutely. And I think along those lines is a lot of people look externally. So when you're building a product, you want to like see what your competitors are doing and what's everyone doing. And not like everyone's copiers, but you're like constantly looking at, at externally and for us it's always been internal like what are we trying to build what are our values you know it's important to know what's out there but it can be like you can be obsessed with my obsessive personality right when you start seeing what other people are doing versus internal like what do we want to build what are we focused on staying true to those values and it's hard like at the beginning too to be able to say no like this doesn't align with our values or 
I mean, there are so many opportunities that came up at the beginning, especially too, where you have to be comfortable and confident. Like, this is our mission. This is our values. This is what we do. And this is what sets us apart. And kind of have almost that confidence to do that and to believe enough in what you're doing and do it, you know, for the value of the company, not necessarily because, oh, your competitors are doing them. That's what. So I think that's helped us too, is we really kind of focus on what we want to do and we want to have at for every stage of feeding i mean in this we want to eventually get to the other categories but to have developmentally appropriate products yeah that's awesome you know i think one of the things that is uh been really um cool to listen and a theme that shows up is you encounter a roadblock or a barrier and your resourcefulness finds a way yeah and i i, I would like to just like what are some other things like as it related to maybe distribution or uh, you know, access to product or even what you faced during COVID and how you had to pivot or, you know, how you accelerate. What are some of the roadblocks that you've encountered and and how did you, how have you overcome, overcome those? Yeah, I think, you know, my dad always said like, and he actually just passed away, which is sad, but um, that life is peaks and valleys, right? And, and I've always, I kind of adopted that because they're just riding the waves of, um, there's a lot of ups and downs in entrepreneurship in life. And it's hard sometimes not to almost feel bad for, for yourself if you're going through something. And I talked about that time in 17, 18 when I just, it sucked. We had no money. And um, and I I kind of shift my perspective to not necessarily being a I, victim is not the right word, but like this is our journey. Like this is where we're at in our journey and this is supposed to be happening. Like and this is with life and business, but like I'm here, this is all happening for a reason. I don't feel bad. I'm just, this is what it is. So let's let's make the best of it, right? So whether it's with our litigation or whatever, of just being like, this is where we're at and being okay with where we are at. I, in my personality too, is like, I always am like looking for the next thing and it's hard not to, right? Like, oh, when I sell the business, I'll buy that. Or when we get on Shark Tank, we'll do that. Versus like living in the moment, like this is the only reality right now. And like, what are we going to do today? And so it, that's been a shift for me. But it is also like the healthiest shift to be and be like, everything's going to work itself out. And I'm going to make it work itself out. Like, I will make sure it's okay because I'm going to make sure it's okay. That is, that is a, that's really powerful. Because I, I think that's a personal power moment where you're like, there are things that you're, um, that, that that battle that you just talked about where it, it isn't about the destination, it's about the journey. Yeah. You know, because you're like, this is our journey. And it's not about those destinations of like, when this happens, we can do this, or I'll be happy when, yes. or we will be satisfied, or we can breathe when. Yes. Those kinds of mindsets are things that can be destructive. Yes. Right? It really has a lot to do with, that's a really good uh, point of view of yours to say, this is the journey, yeah, right, and to be excited about what's possible along the way, yeah, and and I just can't say loving or loving. Maybe I use love and hate pretty loosely, but like I, really I use extreme language too. <laughs> but enjoying the people you work with, I don't think I realize the importance of that. But I'm like, if you're doing like we went to trial for two weeks, right? And I was on trial, like it's not fun. I was like on the hot seat of being the worst person alive, pretty much. But like, I love our legal team. I had like the best time at trial, like because they're like my best friends, and we work and we love what we do. And you're dealing with, but not fun work. But if you like love the people, then it doesn't matter what you're doing. And so that has also been like a critical thing: is relationships are everything. Making memories, that's like all we have. It's so powerful. It's like what I live for now is is those moments, but it's really, really critical. And I think it's it's what I'm like, I could never go back into, 
you know, a, a world where I don't enjoy everyone I'm working with. That's huge. Yeah, you know, I think uh, you have to believe something, and and if you have find other people that believe something super similar, you can get through a lot together. Yeah, absolutely. It's pretty powerful. Yeah. Well, that's good. Well, I I have some rapid fire questions okay. for you. All right, you ready for I'm these? I'm a little nervous. Yeah. All right. Um, are you a regular viewer of Shark Tank? No, I'm sorry. I love the producer, but I do love the producer, but no, I can't watch the show. <laughs> Too dramatic. Uh, who's your favorite shark? I would say Mark Cuban. Yeah? Yeah. Why? He just, gosh, I he was the nicest. It seemed, I, the, yeah, he was the he nicest. He seems like a nice guy. Yeah. Respectful. Well, what? who's somebody, like, who's been influential in your life? You know, I think my husband is a really nice, just good person that I want to be more like. He's really nice. He's just a nice person. That's awesome. I love that. Uh, if you could only use one social media channel for your business, what would it be? So Instagram, but I just like social media is, I mean, we could, that's just what is going on with society and social media. There's some tough stuff going oh, on. And our kids, I'm like, but no, it's, it, I'm getting on a tangent. Instagram <laughs> yeah. is great for the business. I love Instagram, but I also am terrified at what our kiddos are going to do. <laughs> I, I am in the, in the same boat. TikTok. Um, uh, so like me, you have a family of skiers. Yes. Yeah. So what's your favorite mountain? Vail, Beaver Creek. We ski copper last weekend or two weeks. Favorite mountain, yeah. Copper is? I'm, I'm a copper guy. I just loved it. Yeah. It's a, it's a big mountain, a lot of bowls. Yeah. You know, a lot of stuff. For I am. Um, yeah. Yeah. Same, same. Uh, so, um, who is somebody, well, like what, actually, let me ask it this way. Uh, what is, what is the best piece of advice somebody's ever given you? Take joy in other people's happiness. Oh, that's good. Yeah. It was actually, I got it a long time ago and someone had like got promoted or something and and he had said like, be excited for these. And now it doesn't impact, you know, he, he just made it. I'm like, that's just so true. Like other people's successes, it doesn't impact you. Like I just, I love seeing people succeed. I love seeing people happy. I love that. And so I think it's just a good thing of like, take joy in other people's successes. It's so good. You know, uh, I, I I heard somebody say that a little bit of a different way, and it's really resonated with me as well. It's like um, rejoice in somebody else's win and you will find yourself participating in the blessing. Yeah, so it's, true. It's, it's, an amazing, it's an amazing thing. You really do sort of identify with people and things change for you when you're like, I am genuinely happy for that person. Doing yeah. That's so good. And just like positive energy. I mean, there is just something about just being a positive and being, I mean, I really do believe in energy fields and all of that, but yeah. like I try to be, I'm not perfect though, like at all, but um, you know, to try to lift people up. That's awesome. Uh, if you could give one piece of advice to an entrepreneur considering applying for a spot on Shark Tank, what would it be? If you believe in what you're doing, go for it. Absolutely. Just believe in it and, you know, put all your energy into it. I love that. Well, it was awesome to spend time with you. I have one last question. What's next for Easy Peasy? Uh, we're just going to keep innovating. So I would say, create, you know, keep creating innovative products um, and, and doing what we do. And then I love, you know, telling the story. So thank you for this opportunity. I, I really do. And I would love to eventually make some sort of, you know, documentary or film or something because there are so many crazy so stories, many stories. stories <laughs> that, uh, yeah, but it's been a, a wild, fun, amazing journey. Well, we got to stay in touch because I want to watch that documentary. Absolutely. I think it'll be super good. Well, Lindsay, thanks for spending time. Thank you. Oh my gosh, this was awesome. Absolutely. Absolutely.